just a bit outside. All right. Roller at the barrel. Vintage baseball podcast. Talking to vintage baseball players from Coast Coast. Uh, what we're doing tonight, folks, is part two of our major league discussion. We just got to the regular season. Uh, we went a little long with our discussion last week, so we're going to pick it up where we left off. Before we start talking uh, about Major League and before I bring in my co-host and our guest, I uh, just want to go over a few notes. Uh, hey, uh, the podcast is going to be at a lot of events this year. Rudy and I are actually kind of splitting our time at some events. Uh, there's a couple of things that we're not going to be at at the same time because we're going to be at two different events. So it's a buttload of content coming your way. Uh, it's going to be nuts. So we know, uh, and let me bring in my co-host Rudy Swamp Fox Frias. Rudy. How the That's hell are right. you? We're going to kill two stones with one bird. Are we killing birds with stones? Oh, I feel like a Viking. Uh, yeah, so what do we got going on this year? So I'm going to the Akron Cup, and so are you. Yep, that's right. That's right. Uh, and we have the uh, Mightiest Striker and the Gingerly Gentleman. Hey, let's bring in our guest, Mike Marbles Feeney. Mike, are you going to the Akron Cup? Yeah, I'll be there along with the Canton Corn Shuckers. Oh, that's great. I can't wait to see you again. One of our favorite events of the year. Uh, and then what else do we got going on? Oh, I'm going to the, I think it's called the flat rock invitational in May. Uh, Rudy, are you going to that? Oh yeah. Going to be there. Didn't you get beat up by a scoreboard last year? The score. I think they planned that on purpose. Diesel. I think diesel did it. Took me out like Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Hardy. Uh, is diesel still the captain of flat rock? Does I anybody think know? They're eight. <laughs> just, they don't do two years in a row. They have like term limits of a year, don't they? Yeah. And, He's definitely the face of the club. Let's well, that's honest. that's for sure. Uh, Mike, you're going to Flat Rock, right? Yep. Wow. We'll be there. Corn shuckers. Can't you see the trend of me getting away from these guys? Uh, and then in, so that's May, and that's July. What are you guys doing in June? Um, we're, we're hosting the Canton corn suckers. No, uh, <laughs> uh, in Ju uh, June, uh, we're going to have the first ever Columbus, uh, vintage baseball showcase. So, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. The, the how village muffins are hosting it. Uh, what are you doing Feeney? Uh, I, I will be with the corn shuckers. We're going out to Pennsylvania for a four club tournament with the Addison mountain stars are putting on. And we're also going out to Colorado they'll be celebrating their 30th year of vintage baseball. Uh, uh, Rudy, what is the date of your match with the Rochester Grangers? That would be, I believe, July 21st. 22nd. Mike apparently knows these things. Listen, if you, if you want to know about vintage uh, baseball scheduling and everything, Mike's, Mike's trying to put together uh, a master plan of getting 
all the regions in the United States, their vintage baseball schedules up. So you can just go to his website. What's the website, Mike? Uh, eventually it will be up on hand for baseball right now. We're just posting stuff through our Facebook until we get that full schedule completed. So if you have a team or you're on a team, you guys have your schedules. If you could send them my way, that would be fantastic. Uh, okay. Sounds great. Uh, I know I'm going to, uh, this just in recently, I'm going to Rocky point, Rhode Island. Uh, and, and, uh, Mike, are you going to be there? Yep, I will be there along with the Canton Corn Shuckers. Oh my gosh. Bitch, I can't get away from him. And it's funny, the joke, there's a joke inside a joke. So for a couple of years now, I've been talking about I can't get rid or away from the Canton Corn Shuckers. And everyone's like, oh yeah, you just go wherever they go. The joke is, we don't talk about each other's schedules. Never. We're never like, oh, you guys are going there. Oh, maybe I should go there. It doesn't happen. I just schedule myself to be somewhere. And then I look to see who's going to be there. Or at Rocky Point, I didn't even know Kent was going to be there. I thought, I thought I'm getting, I'm finally getting away from these guys. And boom, they're there. That's the joke inside the joke. It, it would have been really great. The Columbus Capitals were that close to to going to rocky point the same weekend the no uh, i don't i we, don't believe you just couldn't make it happen. <laughs> and uh and then uh rudy will be at ohio cup i am not going to ohio cup this year i'm going to the sulfur dell cup uh the tennessee association championship i know canton won't be there because they can't play uh so <laughs> i don't have to worry about seeing them there and uh Oh my God, I'm going to get a lot of capitals and corn shuckers. And it's funny, you guys just out there, you just think it happens that way. And it really doesn't. I don't talk, Rudy, I don't even talk to you about where you guys are going. I just I, go. My club has no idea where we're going. So <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> this is true. Oh, uh, anyway. And then, of course, uh, the, even bigger news is that uh, I've started the process of beginning an overhand baseball league that's going to play in 2024, and then any future plans after that will uh, will be done on a at-the-moment basis. We will make no plans for 2025 until we see how 2024 goes. Uh, we will make no expansion plans until we see how 2024 goes. All we are right now is looking for four cities, and we have two in Michigan already taken care of. So we're looking for two cities in Toledo. Now, my preferences were Toledo and Columbus. But, of course, I'm open to any two cities in Ohio, but I haven't even started the process of me trying to find uh, managers, which is all I'm looking for right now. I'm not looking for players. Uh, managers... Uh, for this because my office isn't ready yet and uh so yeah it's just word of mouth and stuff right now but i want you to know that it's going to be called northwestern league and i own the rights to that so don't even try bitches and uh <laughs> you guys can go ahead i know i got some people out there that like to buy up websites like they're afraid i'm going to use them you go ahead you go ahead and buy all you can and 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's going to be uh, fun overhand baseball. And I'm not releasing any other information than that until I have full information about certain subjects. I'm not releasing any information. We're not doing partial information on that. And uh, and don't ask Rudy anything about it. He's not involved. So don't bother the man. Yeah. He's got kids. He's got to take care of I've... kids. Hey, bud, I'm with you in spirit. <laughs> I don't care. Ah, I always, hey, I have, my kids are grown and gone. I got plenty of time on my hands. Mike has no kids. He he can't even get a girlfriend. That, that I know that you Both know of you of. make me sick. We're at the opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrum of no commitments except baseball. <laughs> uh, and uh, jerks. And now what I do, now what I can do is I can say, hey, honey, you want to go on vacation here, here, here? And she's like, yeah. Well, there's vintage baseball there, too, we got to do. Oh, well, that's all right, as long as I. So the Rocky Point thing, I get to spend a week in Boston on vacation, and then she has to come and deal with two days of baseball. But she'll be all right with that as long as she gets her Boston vacation. Hey, uh, anything that you guys wanted to talk about, let's uh, – Mike, is there anything that you'd like to, uh, you know, promo right now? I was just wondering if you're going to Florida next month. You are going to be in Florida next month. We were actually looking. We are going to. I am not going to Florida. Are you following us there? I am not. Uh, (laughs) Once we added the Boston trip. And at World's Tournament, Rudy's going to be at World's Tournament. And Mike will be at the World's Tournament. I will not be. Unless I'm feeling froggy, because I'll be home. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I don't have to be there. So don't leave. Don't leave me at the world tournament by myself. Uh, okay. I'll be more than happy to come to the world tournament if they can put us by the field. That way, people can't stand and sit right in front of me. Because I, really... I know, I know someone pretty high up who has something to do with the tournament. I'll see if I can pull some strings. Okay, if you if you can hook us up with a primo spot, I'm pretty sure I'll come. I'll come down there and see okay. what's going on. You know, I gotta follow the you Columbus. Wanna, come on, I gotta you follow watch us the get our uh, by kitten Columbus. Off? Come on, the Columbus Buckeyes on their way to the championship. You know, I gotta follow the Buckeyes to. Uh, you know, that documentary about their their classic underdog story. This is probably their year, though. Uh, we'll see. Do we have any new teams in the Worlds this year? Or is it the same old, same old? God, I love seeing the same old, same old. <laughs> we do? The Rochester Grangers are in it this year, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're going to teach everybody how to actually play baseball. And if you make a mistake, well, they'll beat you. Yeah. So I, uh, I do. I want to. I, I want to plug. I want to plug our match with Rochester because this is the Capitals' twenty fifth season as well, and so we will be doing a twenty fifth season celebration of life for the Columbus Capitals at the Van Hoosen uh, Farm. Uh, a great. A great location. Maybe I'll see you there. I don't know. You never know. My internet connection is unstable. Huh. We'll see how this works out. Maybe that's. Oh, he froze. Did I? 
I don't feel frozen. You're back. All right. <laughs> I didn't feel frozen. <sighs> okay. So here's the situation. We're picking up major league, the discussion. Thanks for listening to all that beginning stuff, but sometimes you got to use your platform for what you pay every month for. So here's where we left off. Hey, nice catch, Hayes. Don't ever fucking do it again. So Hayes is in the outfield. It's, it's a little unbelievable, you guys, that the first inning of the first game, the guy who wasn't even invited to spring training, who has to run in a race in his pajamas, is out there in the outfield for the first game and makes uh, a showboat basket catch in the outfield. It's it's entertaining. It's great for the movie. But there's no way in hell he's not scared out of his mind and double-handing that catch. Am I right, Mike? Yeah, I think you're right on that one. All right. Thanks for the <laughs> thanks for a well-worded response. Uh Rudy, take it from there. <laughs> I agree with Mike. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. It it is you said absurd. I love that it's like it kind of you don't you don't see that story pretty much anywhere anymore these days like you could hear of the walk-on making the team or you know a tryout but like his journey so far and an opening day yeah that's that's pretty unlikely and uh i especially hate... even be starting oh gosh yeah right he's on he's a yeah to be a professional baseball player is extremely difficult but yeah he made it happen and uh so then uh, he goes up to bat, and uh, something you see all over the place in vintage baseball, uh, a fantastic, excuse me, swing where he almost gets hit, hit by the ball, it seems like, and uh, he just kind of excuses and gets down to first base. And another, another unbelievable, uh, you have to look past reality situation is he's on first base and he pulls on his gloves and he's like, I got a hundred pair of these for every stolen base. I'm going to get this year. No way. No way. He thinks that, uh, no. uh, and Mike t- talk to me about his, he gets picked off. Does this guy have any base running experience in baseball? What, what are you thinking his baseball experience is up until this point? I mean, he's clearly coming in with a lot of confidence, so I'll give him that. Um, but, I, you know, it's one of those things where I, he probably doesn't have too much baseball base running experience. I mean, he clearly has, you know, this unnatural speed that's a gift. But it's one of those things that if you have speed, but you don't really know the situations in baseball, it's not going to pay off for you. And I think with him getting picked off right out of the gates, that was something that, you know, was a tough lesson to learn. We have a couple guys on our team that do that all the time. <laughs> You'd think they'd learn, um, but luckily for Willie Mays, Hayes, he, he, from what we saw, he didn't get picked off again, if I'm remembering correctly. No, but he slides I think short. He, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, it's, uh, it's it, coming back to reality because, like, makes a great catch, has doesn't have the best hit, but blazing speed down the line, gets on base. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is – Look at them. They're making it. They're climbing up that hill. This is they're, they're looking pretty good. And this is like, nah, come back down to reality. You're getting picked off. Like, 
No, you're rolled. He falls for the, your shoelaces are untied gimmick. Come on. Nobody falls for that. Rudy, how many times a day to you, do you tie Javi's laces? None. Velcro, baby. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Uh, so then what we have is another montage. This is the futility montage where you see, do you guys remember off the top of your head is a little quiz. Anything that happens in this futility montage of how bad they are to start the season in this first game. So is this the one where there's the pop fly into the outfield and three people converge on it? And it drops right in the middle of them. Yes. And, because uh, <laughs> yeah. the Columbus Capitals have done that exact thing. So, yeah, that I remember that. I remember going to a softball tournament with Jeff Rawl, and it was raining. And I was like, I think I was playing second base, and the ball gets hit straight up in the air. And I circled it. I was turning I was completely turning in circles at least three or four times. And then it just fell down and he was very disgusted with me. And, uh, that one he deserved, I deserved it. Uh, <laughs> but the reaction of Willie Mays Hayes in that scene where he's just like, ah, and he falls straight back on his back. It's a, it's a very good, um, wrestling bump. He takes, uh, this is also, <laughs> this is also where we come across uh, Rick Vaughn in his first professional, uh, situation, which does not go that well. His first offering just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. And <laughs> he's, we don't know that he can't see, you know what? They didn't even set that up at all. Like you have no idea. You just think this guy is wild, uh, is all hell. There's no way that guy makes the team. There's no way he can't throw a strike. So, I mean, this, I mean, not spoiler alert, people, he's blind, but the <laughs> severity of the fact that he can't locate shapes. Like, I feel like you could identify where home plate is. And like, but he's throwing the ball that, that just the bit out, bit outside part is everybody quotes that in baseball everybody quotes that in like just regular life completely improvised by bob Euchre, genius but i feel like there is no setup that he has eye problems like he's never squinting you know something like that anything like that so yeah i agree with you there's really no it kind of just comes out of nowhere mike yeah i, I agree that you know it's it's one of those things where it's like if you don't have that vision, there's no chance that you're going to make it as a major league pitcher. Like just going through the tryouts, like you would just be hitting people. You'd be nowhere near the catcher based on what we've seen of them. Like doesn't make any sense, but whatever. He's a lovable character. What doesn't make any more sense is that he hasn't said anything about it. There's no way a pitcher, a guy who's a pitcher is going to just ignore the fact that he has bad eyesight. And not to mention he has to pass physicals and he would have flunked every one of those physicals. So seriously. Uh, I mean, he is too cool for glasses though. So maybe he just didn't want to admit it. You know, <laughs> you think somebody would figure it out before he made it. You make my heart sing. 
You walk everything. So yeah, uh, that's where the wild thing begins. He uh, can't throw a strike. He's oh, he's he's something. Uh, he's like we. I think we said this in the last episode that he is at this point in the movie. He's the star of the movie. Now Tom Berenger is supposed to be the star of the movie. He is not. Uh, we know that it's it's Rick Vaughn, and then you know he has uh he walks the bases loaded and oh boy no way no way too high too high too high happens everybody quotes that I say that all the time I can't get that out of my head when I'm on a baseball field it's too high question I wanted to ask you guys I thought about today they're now called the Cleveland Guardians every time in the future. I see Chief Wahoo or a reference to the Cleveland Indians. It's going to go right to this movie now. Like, cause I will think of the Cleveland guardians as, as the major league product. Uh, do you guys, yeah. what do you guys think about the chief Wahoo? We'll go start with Rudy. <laughs> I think you already know where I'm going to go with this. You go wherever um, you want. I'm just curious. Uh, I, uh, my Facebook uh, feed was uh, pretty uh, popular when this announcement was made because I um, do not support uh, the characterization of uh, Chief Wahoo uh, as a mascot, considering, you know, um, the plight of the First Nations people and how they are an underserved and marginalized population. And so... I was fully support and having lived in Cleveland and, and and I know everybody gave it the guardians of traffic. It's a cool bridge. They're cool. They're amazing statues and it's really great art. Uh, I supported it. I'm okay with it. And I actually am okay. Reference thinking of chief Wahoo and the Indians and solely thinking about this movie. I'm okay with it. I can do that. Mike. I think chief Wahoo is a cultural icon. No, uh, no, it was definitely a mascot. Like, clearly, there were issues with the depiction of Chief Wahoo. Um, For me, you know, that's just the logo I grew up with, with it being the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, I definitely still think of the baseball team from Cleveland as being the Indians just because I don't watch that much modern baseball. So, like, in my mind, I still have that association with Chief Wahoo. I understand everything that's wrong with it. I'm not here promoting it, but you know, for me, I think that that logo and the Indians will always be associated with Cleveland baseball to me. Mm-hmm. My opinion on this and every other matter uh, like this is the same across the board. I am not a native American. Therefore I do not have an opinion because I do not know how it affects native Americans. So I cannot. I cannot I don't have the emotion to be able to say to say if it hurts me or not. I don't know, so I don't it's just like things that affect women. I'm not a woman. You know, I don't know. Uh what? I I know. It's uh uh when things come that across very for a fat Caucasian male, I give my opinion for fat Caucasian males. But if, if it is not one of those, if I do not fall into the group, I tend to let people who are more educated and more emotionally attached decide that. So 
I'm also not a fan of the Cleveland Indians. They can eat a dick. Can I say that? And I'm a Detroit Tigers fan, okay? So I don't care about what the Cleveland, what's your, what they became. So I don't care. I hate them. I hate them no matter what they're called. They could be the Cleveland Clevelanders. I don't care. I hate you. <laughs> Interdivision rivals. Uh, what can I say? Uh, hey, so back to the movie. Hey, uh, they're not good. She, uh... Goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. They're, they're a team that is put together to not only lose, but to lose famously so they can get to Miami, which, I don't know, hasn't worked out in real life for Miami. Uh... But we're going to get to, after the whole Rick Vaughn thing goes on, he gives up a grand slam. Remember how uh, coach leaves him out there, wants to see how he's going to react to it, and then he pegs the guy (laughs) right square in the back. I ask you, how? Because that's exactly where he wanted to hit him. But he can't see. (laughs) Pinpoint accuracy. Don't you want to throw a strike? Hit the catcher's mitt. I don't know. It's, uh, (laughs) it's, it's, uh. He does a lot of crotch grabbing in this movie. Have you noticed that? Charlie Sheen grabs his crotch a lot. He's got tiger blood. I don't know if you know that. Tiger blood. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the featured flavors from Kona Ice at the last uh, Frankenmuth Festival. Tiger blood? Yeah, we had the the Kona Ice there just for you, Mike. How many did you get? I think I was up to six. Uh, if the truck was a little further down the field, I think I would have surpassed that number. But a lot of my games were played far away from the truck, which made it tough. You mean I went through all that trouble for you to get six snow cones, dude? All well, that, I mean, I, you, yeah. you got to look at the field location here. All, I was way down. All that I had to deal had, with what, for six minutes between games. It's a fundraiser, you prick. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hey, by the way, one of their trucks is for sale, just in case you're interested. So uh, now we can get into the Jake Taylor storyline that uh, really irks me. It's really the Daniel LaRusso of the major league. So if you go back to watch The Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso is the bully in that movie. And you need to be aware of this. And you need to recognize and acknowledge that. Because in this movie, Jake Taylor is a felon. Okay. This guy should be in prison. He probably uh, was wanted in the Mexican penal system or whatever, but he sees he, he goes, he, he got a bad number from his ex. He got a bad phone number and he knows that she's engaged. And so he goes to her work, which is at the library Now, I don't know how he knows that she works there because she didn't work there until after they were broke up. I believe that came up, but whatever. He finds her at work uh, because books are her life or whatever. I guess it's not a stretch, but you remember the scene where he's like following her around at the library. Let me tell you what, this is just the beginning of Jake Taylor and his antics, but he's bothering her at her place of employment and that is the least thing that he does wrong. And it's still wrong. 
Rudy, you ever follow a woman around at her place of employment? Uh, one time, and that woman is my wife, and we work together. Um, <laughs> so, but no, because that is creepy. It. I mean, <laughs> look, I get. I mean, there are two sides to every court case i guess but like someone might find it romantic and be like oh he's pursuing me but no i mean yeah there are other ways to plead your case than what he's doing there are other ways to have a conversation with this individual but yeah I, showing up at the job and following them around like mike said that gets you me too that gets you like you you're, you're going that's a restraining order <laughs> Mike, you've never it lusted, does kind of fit. You've never lusted after a woman like this before, but let's just say it's a it's a a Disney character at Walt Disney World that you're that you're stalking. Uh, how far are you going to go to get that picture and autograph from uh, Belle? <laughs> oh, I'm not going that far. I'm talking mascot <laughs> characters here. I'm not creeping on some college girl that's just trying to make twelve dollars an hour. Uh, you know, this movie, the the whole storyline where he's following her around is very stalker-ish, but it does kind of fit the theme of the movie, whereas if you don't succeed, try, try again. And eventually it works out for him, oddly enough. But I don't think that can be related to real life in it wor- 99% of situations. It works out for him with her, but they're walking around a library and people in the library have to listen about how he had a threesome and he and some woman uh, said that she had a much better body than Lynn and he had to defend. Do you listen to these stupid arguments he's making? Uh, And he wins her back with this mentality. Is uh, this nuts? Hello? Rudy. Um, we missed most of what you said because you froze on our end. Son of a bitch. All right. But, Go ahead. But I think I hope in an effort, hopefully not to repeat what you said, but piggyback. It's that it's like it's that machismo that was so prevalent in the eight. Well, even still some and not so much today, but like in the 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 early cinema, you know, eight. We're talking 80s, 90s where men were men. Right. And the women Huh, fond over these men and it, in his head that's a logical response I had to defend your honor and prove that you had a better body by sleeping with this other woman and like it made sense to him and it's hilarious to other guys but like yeah she had every right to snap him off and yell at him right at the library and 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 put him in his place I support that he's making the same excuses he probably did at the time that all this came out so he's not even repenting for his sins. He's just the same person. How does the guy who Make acts the same way? He hasn't changed. I don't. He's trying to win her back and keeps saying how he's changed and everything's changed, but he's acting the same. I don't understand you, Jake Taylor. Tell me more. Anyway, uh, the next scene, there's an owner owner meeting with Charlie. Uh so this begins, uh, she thinks that uh, the players are being coddled because they're doing okay. And this is when the scary plane rides start. And those looked 
terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) The plane's in terrible shape. There's lightning. The plane is moving like crazy all the time. Dorn's got his (laughs) Corbin Burns is so great, but he's got he's got those eye things on. So he can't see, and he's just hearing noises. So he's just moving his head because he keeps hearing lightning and all kinds of stuff. Uh, uh, The the Indians lose uh, in their next game, seven to nothing. Rick Vaughn sets the record for wild pitches in one inning. That's a four. I doubt. I doubt that's a record. Somebody look that up for not you guys, but somebody. (laughs) They're wild. I would say I've seen. Multiple wild pitches in an inning from a guy. I can't imagine that four broke the record. Uh, Rodis Chapman blew like four pitches and blew a save for the Yankees years back. Like I felt like it was five. Yeah, it forced the the maximum. I know Coco surpassed it in an inning of vintage baseball. (laughs) Oh, bless his heart. Love Coco. He threw it down the path. Uh. Boy, it's still rolling. It's still rolling. It's still rolling. (laughs) (laughs) He did it again. From first to home, wild pitch. (laughs) Uh, We get more scary plane ride montage. They lose another one, six to one. They only got one one goddamn hit. Uh, You can't say goddamn on the radio. (laughs) That's all right. Nobody's listening. We heard that earlier. Uh, And then we see... Uh, I have more Jake Taylor right here. The plane is broken down, and they are duct taping the propeller on that. I wish I knew what Ian Frias thought it's of this like airplane. Almost like you're flying Spirit Airlines, <laughs> Spirit or Frontier. <laughs> it's one of those. Mike, you you fly a lot of Spirit. Can you go ahead and give us your I review did, did. of Spirit, Spirit Airlines? Spirit gets a bad rep. Uh, the real <laughs> devil now. of airlines is Frontier Airlines. If I have any advice for anybody, never fly Frontier. Uh, Spirit, you always fly Spirit. I'd rather hop on that plane that the Indians had than another Frontier flight. You you fly Spirit because of the the cheap fare, but they they nickel and dime you on everything. I don't really see how in the long run it works out for you because you could be flying a reputable uh, airline uh, instead. Just take uh, a backpack. Just take a backpack and you're good. Uh, most of us like to wear clean underwear, Mike. Uh, so that's not going <laughs> to, that, that doesn't work for us. Hey, Rudy, uh, they're broke down at the t- on the tarmac and he's reading a Moby Dick comic book. This irks me. Your thoughts. Look, I get, I mean, like we've all, it's the, like, I guess that's the more colorful cliff notes. Like we've all like had assignments and been like, I didn't read this whole thing. Let me go see if I can find an abbreviated version of this and try and read through it and get the the major points. He's this is his feeble attempt to show he's changed. I there was a long time ago where I had just started a relationship with someone. And this was when I was living in Cleveland and this person read a lot of books and to impress them. I don't know why I was like, you know what? I'm going to start reading at the time. The The new book was Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Oh. So I went and I bought it. It's like, it's like 800 pages. Oh yeah. 
I got to page 25 and I read <laughs> I was like, you know what? I got to stay true to who I am. There's no way in hell I'm reading this whole book. And I didn't even read it. I was like, it'll be a movie. I'll just watch it then. And I guess this is Jake Taylor's feeble attempt to show that he's trying to be a cultured individual and, and prove to Lynn that he's changed. But he's faking it. He's totally faking it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah. So then we get Willie talking Jake into stalking. Okay. But here's uh, my here's my problem with this. Willie's like, why don't you just follow her home from work and find out where she lives? Because Jake didn't know where she lived. You don't think that thought's already in Jake Taylor's mind. He just stalked her at work. So that thought's already in his head. So, uh, so he does. Now, this is the one time in this movie I'm going to let Jake Taylor off the hook. Okay. He, not the following her home from work. That's creepy. Uh, but it's, it's double creepy because she's done up until this point, everything she can do to distance herself from him. So at this point, now he finds out where she lives, but he doesn't bother her. He goes to the bar. He's obviously having a few drinks to get courage. I would, I would say that. And then he goes back and he takes the elevator up to the top floor. It's like six, six floors in this apartment building. And he walks off the elevator and boom, he's in, I believe his name's Tom, Tom's apartment. So this is not his fault. For one, where's, what's the deal with the security? Okay, how can anybody just go up to the sixth floor and walk into this dude's apartment? You can't do that. You'd have to have a key in the elevator to access that floor if, if, if that's what it is. It's just his like condo up on the sixth floor. You can't just walk off and go. So he gets off the elevator. He doesn't think he's in somebody's apartment. He thinks he's in a hallway. So he's just, <laughs> he's just walking down the hallway and he looks up and he notices there's a, a dinner party going on and, and all hell's about to break loose emotionally. Uh, that's not his fault. There's no way he thinks he's getting off that elevator and he's already in somebody's apartment because it's not reality. Rudy. So that, I mean, that's a trope that's used in films, like to show like, you know, the studio apartment that has the really, your front door is the elevator, but yeah, there's definitely like a doorman and stuff like that. But that he definitely thinks he's walking into a hallway. However, given the recent, you've enlightened me from last uh, or part one of this episode. Like, I feel no sympathy for him. Like, he followed her home. Like, what was his... He was going to... Sh- whether it was a hallway or not, he was going to knock on a door and be like, hey, what's going on? Jake Taylor here. I mean, so I feel like he kind of... This should be the red flag. This should be the signal to him that, you know what? Yeah, not only is this not her place, it's her new partner's place. So... I should let this go. That should be the first clue to him. So Mike. Yeah. It just, it just feels like he doesn't understand anything really. (laughs) (laughs) You you would think that everything would be kind of laid out by this point that she wants nothing to do with you. Um, But spoiler alert, apparently she does. It just doesn't make much sense, but yeah, it's, I've never been to a place where you just get off an elevator and you're automatically in somebody's apartment. So 
if if I'm a yeah, woman a a that decision. has done everything to get rid of her ex and he wasn't great when they were together, so she probably doesn't have that kind of emotion towards him. And he just shows up. He obviously stalked her home from work. I mean, that's pretty much, that's almost legal time. You know, that's almost yeah. restraining order time right there. That's that's trespassing, um, and it, you know, Mike. They do have <clears throat> it. They're in Manhattan. That's where those things exist. Uh, which n- clue number one? This is in Cleveland. Haven't lived in Cleveland. Sorry, people aren't living downtown. Well, they probably are now, but like in the eighties, people weren't living downtown Cleveland. Sorry. So yeah, it was a nice stretch. It 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 uh, it was a storytelling tactic, and it worked. By the way, the girl that uh, their friend that's in the purple dress really wants some of some Jake Taylor. I mean, she has thirsty. I sex with him at least three times while they're there in that room together. Oh my goodness! If I could just have a woman look at me like purple dress woman looked at Jake Taylor, ah, I'd be happy. Uh, and then they have the very uncomfortable conversation about how he he makes the league minimum which at the time is $62,500 which is at the time a pretty decent living even if it is the minimum and uh it goes into how he wanted to raise some kids and would hope they would get involved in swimming in the exact event that that she is in it's very it's <laughs> he he makes everybody around. Mike said it earlier. He's oblivious. He doesn't. He doesn't understand how uncomfortable he's making everybody else. He knows Lynn. Okay. He's not making her uncomfortable. He probably knows that because of how well he knows her. But in the process, yeah. he makes everybody else uncomfortable. And uh, except for the chick in the purple dress, everybody else should take a shot at him. Not what I meant. She wants to take a shot at him. Everybody else should take a, a shot at him. Anyway, he's a he's a jerk. Uh, and then there's the he decides to leave. Uh, and then Tom and Jake walk down the hallway and they have their uncomfortable exchange. Uh, you know what I noticed just now as I'm talking with my hands like, way too much and it's starting to annoy me so i'm going to try to stop that uh so (laughs) the next scene is uh rick vaughn gets pulled into the office and this is where they find out he can't see so so they're like uh the coach is like hey ask him over there you know and and rick vaughn's trying to look at him it was kind of a dumb scene but uh uh he has him try to read some numbers he can't read the numbers, they give him some nasty old glasses, like Sir, Sally Jesse Raphael glasses. They're like turtle. What's that? What is that design? Like turtle something. Tortoiseshell. Tortoiseshell. Tor- Tortoiseshell. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, he looks terrible, but at least he can see. Uh, obviously, I don't follow that storyline. I, I think it's a little unbelievable, but it's a comedy, blah, 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 whatever. Uh this is where you get Harris drinking uh, Joe Boo's rum on the way out to the field, and he goes out and he yells, uh, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. He gets hit with a bat. 
I think they could have went farther with that. I think they could have gone somewhere else with that. It was very short. Like, I would almost say you could go with Harris starts having multiple situations of bad luck until he repents to Joe Boo in some situ- some form or another. Yes, because this is, like, that's perfect. Like, because, <clears throat> excuse me, on the airplane, you have the scene where Serrano uh, does the sign of the cross, and, and Harris leans over and be like, oh, you're talking to him now, right? And then, but, like, in this one, there's, there's, they missed just that moment. You, yes, it's a tasty morsel. Harris gets hit with the back. Great. But think about all the things that could go wrong during the baseball practice that could have happened to him. Yeah, they, they definitely could have put another well-placed montage no, here. No more Harris montages, having... man. No more montages. By the way, <laughs> a side note while we're he here. All these awful things happening to him. Um, I definitely think they could have, like, as Rudy said, you know, they could have went way farther with this concept. I think in my mind, one of the reasons they didn't is just because in this time, movies weren't three hours. They weren't Avenger length movies regularly and being a comedy. I'm guessing they wanted to keep it under two hours, but this could have been one of the underlying stories that just kind of played out throughout the rest of the movie. I think, uh, side note. I was talking to Rudy today. We we're texting back and forth about the Fast and the Furious franchise because I recently decided to start watching it with my wife. And we watched the first one and we're like, eh, it's okay. And we watch the second one. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. It is, I mean, it, not only the acting. And everyone has been coming back at me about, you don't watch these kind of movies for the acting. I watch every movie for, for acting. That's I have to suspend my belief and, but the editing and the directing was brutal in that movie. I mean, it is bad. And, uh, so, and we have made the commitment to watch the rest of them. And Rudy gave me the correct list. Mike, have you seen the fast and furious franchise? Uh, I think I started watching the first one and I found something else to do fast and I was furious about the time I wasted. (laughs) That would be the second one then. The first one was okay. But their cars were too small. Like, why are you spending all that money money on these small cars? They're small cars. They're crap. (sighs) Anyway, back to it. Uh, Then we see Dorn uh, half-ass ground ball and uh, but but the Indians end up winning uh, you know, Vaughn is all mad because Dorn kind of half-assed the ball. We all know Dorn's situation is, which I don't understand. He's supposed to be a good ball player at this point, still. I mean, the, the, the what you hear is he can hit, still. He had like 86 RBIs this season. And uh, he is worried about free agency. He thinks... He's in line for a big payday somewhere. And I would assume that's reality because he has an agent. He's getting fed this information. So he's afraid of getting injured to stop this big payday from happening. And then you just see him as a shell of himself in the sequels. Like he's, he's terrible. He's just, he's, he gets used as a pinch runner and just that whole thing. 
it totally takes away the fact that he was probably a good player in his prime, and we don't see any of that. We just hear certain things uh, about that. But the Indians start winning. Jake goes to Doran's house and his ugly wife, and uh, she. I my note here is that what? oh, she's ugly. She's ugly. Oh. You got to look at the close-ups, the close-ups sure. of her scene with no. with Rick Vaughn. There's a reason that she never acts again. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that right now. Mm. Woof. Uh, but I notice when uh, Jake walks in to Doran's house, she says that he's in the solarium. And I'm like, pretentious. What is the solarium? What is I was going to look up what a solarium is, and I never got around to it, but it just kind of looks like a porch <laughs> an indoor porch uh i don't know there's plants i wonder if plants have anything to do with it but uh it's just there's a tv and a and a wicker couch i mean it's i don't know maybe it's a lot of windows anyway uh so they have uh their uncomfortable exchange mike what do you remember from this exchange between jake and and dorn at his solarium well, I just looked up a solarium, and it, it, the definition is a room fitted with extensive areas of glass to admit sunlight. So I suppose they are, in fact, in a solarium. Um, yeah, this scene wasn't all that memorable for me. Like, it, it makes sense that, you know, it, it saves Jake Taylor a little bit in his character, like showing up, going, hey, what are you doing? Why aren't you playing to the best of your abilities? Apparently, you know how to play baseball and you're good at it. Why aren't you giving it your all? Which, you know, I think everybody's probably at one point or another been on a team with somebody who, who's really not all that thrilled to be there and isn't giving it their all. And other members are. So I, I think it's relatable in that sense. But at the same time, I don't know if the scene was really necessary for the movie. I guess it does set up something else later um, with the whole Rick Vaughn scene. But yeah, it wasn't that memorable to me. It certainly sets up, number one, I did the same thing, Feeney, but I typed up uh, Wendy's Solarium, and I don't know if you got, you can't, uh, uh, you'll see it. it. Anyways, Wendy's and Arby's used to have solariums. I love sitting in those. They're so fancy. Uh, it, it does establish the dynamic that we've already know that Dorn is a financially different from the other players. Um he has other priorities other than baseball and you see Jake Taylor trying to be this captain, this, 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 uh, the, the wily veteran to get everybody on board. And I, it, it's, Yeah, it's it's kind of just one of those. The, here's the thing about this movie: it's like loves the ancillary love stories, the 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 Jake Taylor, and and even introducing Robert R- Roger Dorn's beautiful wife um, <laughs> is is not really important at, at this time. So Oof. I mean, it, it it's a it's one of those scenes that if you were in the theater, you go use the bathroom and then come back. Uh yeah. So then they show a quick quick scene of Rick Vaughn getting hit on. I guess it's just to show that he's uh, uh, getting some popularity or whatever. 
And then there's another one of those fan montages about everybody saying that they're doing pretty good, whatever. And then you're back in the locker room and they're going to go take uh, an ice bath, I assume. Uh, they're going to get in the cold tubs or hot tubs. I don't know what, what water they were going to have in there. I, there was, And uh, the, they don't work. And this is when you get human resources Human resources would be going crazy in this movie because uh, Coach Brown walks back out into the locker room. He's naked. He's going to go talk. He's going to go call the owner. She's in the locker room, okay? Eh, wrong. Two, she walks around the locker room while they're having a discussion, and he's like, he's not putting his towel on. He's too old. He don't care. But, like, everybody's practically naked, and she goes over and she touches Willie's head, racist. She cup checks Vaughn, <laughs> right? So lawsuit. <laughs> and then she goes over and smacks Serrano on his ass. So what is going on here? This is the, this is the HR movie from hell. Uh, Dude, does she get away with any of that? I guess maybe touching Willie's hair. I guess is the only thing she's going to get away with in this. And uh, and she and at the end, guys, when she's done with her discussion with the coach, she looks down at his package before she walks out of the room. It's it's very, it's right there on the scene. Like they don't hide it. That's what they want you to see. She's a whore. She's a whore. <laughs> horror? Are you saying horror? Like she is a horror. Uh horror. A horror <laughs> to have as an owner. Uh the funny thing is, is this is the only scene that she has where you feel like she likes men in that way but then it's every man in the locker room. So I don't know. It was kind of weird, but uh, Mike, how many lawsuits? Uh, these days, especially quite a few back when this movie was made. I don't know if she might've got away with some of the stuff, given the fact that she owned the team and, you know, especially given the era, I don't feel like most of those ball players would step up and, you know, make a, actual complaint but you know these days totally different situation um i like the juxtaposition that they do where normally if you think about it uh that role and that behavior would be reserved for a male like like think of like nine to five or you know in any of these other movies where the the male boss goes around and harasses women and nothing happens to them and then but i like that they kind of made it she's she has the power and she doesn't care i like that juxtaposition but it is an hr nightmare like she's not owning the club but like a day after that <laughs> once she smacks serrano's ass for one i'm offended he he is president david palmer for crying out loud as we <laughs> you, you don't no, smack the ass of the president our presidents haven't been much better for certain things in this area 
for a long time, actually. What? Since the beginning of time, I was, actually. <laughs> I was always fascinated that Dennis Haysbert is just in a jock strap. Like, not nothing else, just a jock strap. Like, I. If you look like Dennis Haysbert I, there, you're just wearing a jock strap. I mean, Mike does I it all the time. I, he doesn't look anything like Dennis Haysbert. Well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm more. I'm more of a prude, and so like I'm gonna have like underwear on and then the jock strap. But like, I mean, I guess I mean I guess if you look like that, yeah, I guess you would do. Mike, in your long history of jock straps, you don't wear underwear with that jock strap, do you? When you got an ass like Serrano, that's all you got on, right? I mean, I don't think I'd be walking around in just that. It's like you put it on and then you put whatever on over it. Or you got nothing at all. But the in between just standing there and that? Eh. Wasn't he working out too? Wasn't he like he was working Doing out? Doing some curls. I mean, that's hot. Let's face it. He turned some guys that day. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I hear there's big money in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh then they put the motor the motorboat uh motor in the tub for Jake Taylor. Tell me what this does besides cuts all of his toes off. But what is what is the positive effect of this? That it's not warm water. It's just cold water. Is it just for the jet effect? Because it's not doing anything. I mean, I mean, if he's gonna stalk Lynn, why doesn't he stalk into her bathtub and take a warm bath or something? I mean. That's going to be better. <laughs> I, I had the same question. I was like, what's creating the bubbles? Is that a propeller? And if so, he, he no longer has feet. But I'm, it, I, you suspend disbelief for the, the, the visual of it, that they're, uh, they're, they're using scotch tape to hold this, this, everything together, or duct tape, if you will. So it was, it was kind of funny. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a well-placed comedic moment, but it that provides nothing at all. There is no reward to that risk uh, <laughs> for that to ever happen in an actual situation. Uh, then the Indians go on to beat the Tigers, unlikely, you sons of bitches. And Lynn is in the crowd. And uh, so, so Jake runs out into the parking lot because now... At this point, she's giving him the green light, I would say. Uh, you, you've you gone to the game. Yellow. Yellow light. Okay, but she went to the game and she sat close. She could have sat anywhere. True. She sat close. Ah, they're giving tickets away at that point. Come on. And, uh, and plus, I don't believe she was spotted there with anybody else for what's, what that's yeah, worth. See? Yeah. And then he follows her home in the bullpen car. Now, seriously, one, that bullpen car is not going to go fast enough to be able to find out where she lived. She's way gone, okay? There's no way she lives two blocks away from the stadium. She's gone. She gone. <laughs> and he would never find her. But for the sake of the movie, he finds her. And then... Uh, you don't see it, so you just have to assume that he just walks right in her front door and up the stairs to her apartment. 
So she doesn't lock her car and then she doesn't lock the door to the apartment. What is going on here? <laughs> and the the thing that I took away from that is he's still wearing spikes. Yes. Like he's he's walking around in spikes. If she has hardwood floors, those floors are shot because he's digging his spikes into him them. If even if they're ceramic, he's scratching them up. I got very angry about that for some reason. But yeah, it um uh I I was able to suspend disbelief that like maybe she lived like a few blocks from the stadium. You know, you say the stadium's downtown, she lives downtown, maybe a couple of blocks, and it, he could keep up. But yeah, the visual of the bullpen car is pretty funny. Yeah, the bullpen car is a nice addition. Um, I do disagree with you, though, Barrel Roller. I think Jake Taylor is going to find her no matter what. I don't think <laughs> there's anything stopping that creep. Regardless of how far away she is, he's going to get there. Have, have you seen, have you all seen that where they do trailers and they turn like comedy, they turn Elf into a horror movie? Oh yeah, yeah. Through the trailer, uh-huh. like you could turn this into like single white female. You could turn this into Fatal Attraction. It just the Jake Taylor scenes stalking Lynn. Do do yourself off season Do yourself yes. a favor and look up the Frasier uh, redo trailer to make it look like a a thriller. Frasier the sitcom. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> it's it's amazing. But here here's something I thought about. In this scene, because of the bullpen car not being able to keep up, keep up with her, uh, he already knows where she lives. He has already stalked her back to her house. He's already peeped in those windows. He already knows that she lives up the stairs. Okay, so yeah, uh, they just don't show that part. It's, but in my mind, he already knows that that stuff. Well, anyway, they end up doing it. So. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that makes sense to me out of this whole thing. Is there a couple of exes who are obviously attracted to each other and they uh, rekindle their flame by doing it. And that's like reality. And it's like the only reality that's happened in this relationship in this entire movie. And uh, that's great. And then he wakes up alone. There's a lot of uh, the women are the men in this movie. Have you noticed that? Like Rudy said with the owner, she's acting like the man. And this is a one night stand and Lynn is gone, leaving him alone. So way ahead of its time, if you ask me. Hey, guess what? The Indians are 60 and 60 at this point. And they're nine games out of first place. So we've seen some good play out of them, but there ain't no way they're 60 and 60. There ain't no Way, that's a bad team. Uh, and now you get the bad, uh, you get the bad, uh, the bus ride. Remember the bus? Now they're, now they're taking a really terrible bus. That's, I think that's about the last thing she takes away. And they don't really refer to, are they doing bus instead of plane now? Or did they have a nicer bus and now they have a, a, a bad, Uh, a bad vehicle situation now because they're doing so well. And Recording in progress. Oh, hey, here I am. 
you guys didn't. Miss we heard anything. we heard they take a bus. They have a they have a bad bus now. My question is, is she's punishing them more? Did they have a nice bus and now they have a a, a junky bus, or did they replace the plane with the bus? Oh, I think they're going straight plane to bus. Yeah. That's a uh, yeah, long that's a long I, trip from Cleveland to Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah. I would think in reality, if you're the owner of a major league baseball team, you kind of have to keep up a certain standard of transportation to make sure these games actually happen. So I don't think that's realistic. I think that's a Hollywood suspension of disbelief, right? That's how it is. It's possible that they got switched over to a bus because we're looking at here, they're at the end of the season, right? So most of the games are probably going to be divisional games. So they're taking the bus to Detroit, Kansas City, Minnesota. Like they're not great trips, but they're doable in between series. Uh, so then they're showing them play the Yankees. They want to put in your head that they're no good against the Yankees. Uh, Haywood, who's actually a pitcher, Pete Vukovic is, uh, a pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. I want to say, uh, played Haywood in this movie. And then there was another baseball player. Rudy knows this cause he looked this stuff up, but we haven't gotten to the point, but there's somebody else who plays the closer for the Yankees in the, in the last game uh, that was a baseball player. The rest of the baseball players uh, on the Indians and everybody else, they actually used Arizona state baseball players for all the, for all the spring training stuff. And I don't know if they, they carried it over for the major league. I don't know who the major league players were, were played by. I didn't read that. Uh, this is where you get the line that Haywood crash crushes it towards South America. Great line. Uh, and then the next scene is when you get the, you get Charlie telling Coach Brown of the plan of the relocation and putting the team together to be bad. Uh, Coach Brown thinks they're a contender. I don't know what the hell Lou Brown's problem is. There ain't no way they're a contender, but they're sixty and sixty or sixty and sixty-one actually because they just lost. And uh, so then you get the thing where the coach tells everybody. I thought this was not a good scene. I thought that they could have done more with this scene. And, uh, I thought coach Brown's part in this scene wasn't that great. Uh, I think, uh, Tom Berenger is actually fine in this scene. And then I think they could have done more afterwards, but like Tom Berenger stands up when they find out when he says they're just, there's only one thing left to do. It's win the whole fucking thing. He's, uh, he stands up to give that, rah rah kind of speech and willie stands up and says yeah and then walks back to his locker and that's the end of it i'm like they probably could have done more of an intense rah rah situation other than tom berenger's one line on that hey i was practicing coach brown's voice and i just kept going into the head elf of of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer (laughs) and i was like don't ever do it again and uh, <laughs> it was, uh, Hermie doesn't like to make toys. And I, I couldn't stop going into the head elf, so I stopped. Uh, I'll never get it. Uh, your thoughts, Mike, 
on uh, the team finding out that they were put together because they suck. Uh, I, I feel like they should have known this way sooner. Um, you got a guy that makes the team that has nothing to do with baseball and Willie Mays Hayes like, wasn't invited to the camp. And this guy makes the team. There's definitely that should say something about the prospects that are there. If there's a guy that doesn't know baseball that shows up and is able to even get a second look, the other guys there aren't anything to write home about. And you should know that you're in for a rough season. It's the fact that the owner hates them, which has been pretty clearly established, I think, to the team earlier on in the movie as well. Like they should know by this point that they're not supposed to be winning. Uh, Rudy. Yeah, there's, I mean, like you hit the nail on the head there. There's really no secret. Like, you you feel the support from the top down, right? So, like, we're on this death trap of a plane, this this bus from the 30s. Like, this is, we're, we're, we have to use a motor from a boat to get our uh, our hot tub jacuzzi going. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm with you. So you remember this, uh, they do, uh, now they do the winning montage, another montage, and they show Dorn with a bunch of bruises because now he's getting in front of the ball. How about catch the ball? Hey, how about that? You don't have bruises all the way up and down your body. But, uh, then they do the American express commercial. Another one of my favorite Corbin Burns and scenes in this movie is everybody's comfortable with their character in this American express commercial but when when it's Dorn's turn to talk he's just like a robot and he's just so stiff with his lines and everything uh and then you get coach brown but we're contenders now and it's the head elf from rudolph thank you uh <laughs> uh they're in a first place tie with the yankees now uh a little background on the owner She's played by a woman called Margaret Witten, and she died back in 2016, so there's no chance of getting her on the, the podcast. Uh, they take off the last piece of, of they had that uh, cardboard cutout of her, and every time they won, they took a piece off of the cardboard cutoff, and now they're showing they took off the last piece. Uh, and this is where Dorn's ugly wife sees him on TV with... Uh, a young woman, uh, he's obviously going to um, talk about political issues with in their hotel room. So <laughs> let me ask you this. Roger Dorn's been a baseball player for a long time at this point, Mike. Is he just taking advantage of his le- of his current celebrity from what they've done in the season? Or has he been like this the whole time? Um, I think he's taking in mostly just the season. Like, it's very possible that he's been like this the whole time as well. But I think that the Indians are having this crazy success. He's a key part of this team. And he's the only one that kind of knows how to play baseball. I think... He may have been like this the whole time, but I don't think it was ever to this status that he's at now where I'm sure the Indians would be getting a lot of looks and a lot of publicity because they're doing something that they weren't supposed to do. If there's a team that comes in as the favorite 
and they take care of business is one thing and everybody kind of expects it, but it's when it's this team, that's this complete underdog, they're getting a lot more looks and a lot more media than they would have otherwise. And I think it's kind of escalated his popularity. There's no way Roger Dorn goes from that ugly wife to that good looking young woman. Rudy, am I supposed to suspend belief that this is happening? Roger, Mrs. Dorn is a beautiful woman. You bite your tongue. Uh, she is uh, uh, so beautiful, as will be uh, displayed in a scene uh, further down the road from, from where we are. I no. think Roger Dorn has always been like this. I feel like the only characters that have um, that are redeemable and lovable are Ricky Vaughn and Pedro Serrano. Like, because they, I mean, we've, we've already gone over how we feel about, you know, Willie Mays Hayes, confident, maybe a con man, confidence man for sure. And like, probably shouldn't be there, but makes it happen. And, you know, Dorn and, and Taylor. Following. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to say that Dorn has always been like this. And this is the first time Mrs. Dorn is finding out. Probably not the first time she's finding out. This is probably like strike six. But uh, then we find out that Ricky's not starting in the in the tiebreaker game against the Yankees. He's going to be in the bullpen, which I don't think he was ever considered like the ace of the staff or anything like that. So he shouldn't be. It's just because it's his turn in the rotation. But he shouldn't be surprised or disappointed a lot. And I don't think he is. He kind of handles it fine. I guess I don't have to suspend my belief with that. By the way, Coach Brown is played by James Gammon. He died back in 2010. No chance of him being on the podcast. <laughs> uh, they return to uh, Cleveland. And what does Jake Taylor do when they get back to Cleveland? But he breaks into Lynn's apartment again. And he, she doesn't live there anymore. <laughs> but he just comes bounding up the stairs like he's waiting to, to see her and, and everything there. And then he's like surprised, even though he's already been told she's moving in with uh, Tom. So uh, whatever. Then this is when you get Rick Vaughn at the bar and Roger Dorn puts her, her, uh, her plan into action. And obviously her plan is, listen, you hate this Rick Vaughn kid. He, he annoys you to no end, so I'm going to sleep with him, and then I'm going to tell you about it, and it's going to, you know, irk you. Uh, do you think they get a divorce from this? I don't. Let's let's. I don't know what happens in two and three with their marriage. I assume it's addressed. She's not in two and three, but uh, do you think the divorce process has started because of that affair or? not rudy no i don't i don't think so here's the thing <clears throat> um roger dorn has this false bravado he he likes to and you can tell in the later movies how be, he becomes a shell of himself he's he he uh the, the the curtain is pulled back and you see that he is just as as weak and insecure as all of us. And he's not this like confident, like, Hey, I got this. Uh, I think that this leveled the playing field to an extent that he realized that he, if he was going to get a divorce, he was going to 
get taken for everything. Yeah, he seems like a guy who really cares about his financials, Mike. Yeah, I, I agree. I think with his financial situation and him having everything planned out for a life after baseball, that he's not going to, you know, risk this ruining all of that. Now, if I don't know, I, I think if he had planned that deeply, though, he may have planned for something of this to happen. In that case, divorce is happening. I think he's too egotistical to plan for a divorce that he thinks will never happen because he thinks he's pretty special. So uh, then you get uh, you get Taylor telling Vaughn to get out to the bullpen before uh, Dorn gets there, so there's not a situation. Serrano wants to sacrifice a chicken just like in Bull Durham. There's a chicken sacrifice situation happening. Uh, everybody is feeling the tension. I think the acting is good because everybody is like on pins and needles and ready to explode over any little thing because it's just too much. There's 70,000 people in the stands. Uh, the the game starts. Dorn makes a routine play. It's some of the worst. Uh, Mike said this in the very beginning. Uh, it, it's some of the worst baseball, actual athletic, non-athletic plays being made. This this grounder to Dorn, this play is, is just hard to watch. Uh, Serrano strikes out. Uh Willie Mays Hayes robs a home run. Uh, and then Harris is one who started this game. And he's he's awful to watch throw a pitch. I mean, it's just painful. Uh, but he gives up a two-run homer. They're losing two to nothing. Taylor grounds out. They want to extensu- insinuate the fact that uh, his knees are toast. And uh, that sets up his big moment later in the uh, later in the game. And uh, then Serrano comes up, and my first note here about Serrano is, man, that guy really fills out a uniform. And I'm <laughs> I'm taken back to people like, like Julio Franco filled out a uniform pretty good. You know? It's like there's guys that just <laughs> – Ruben Sierra – Ruben Sierra, you beat me to it. Oh, absolutely. Mike, you know somebody who fills on a uniform pretty good? Uh, not that comes to mind. I think you guys are looking at different things when you're watching baseball than I am. But, uh... <laughs> no, we're not. We're just admitting it. <laughs> you just don't remember their names. That's too bad. Uh, Rudy, anybody? Besides Ruben Sierra. J.D. Mouth Klein fills out a uniform. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Then we're up to Harris giving up a double. They got Vaughn warming up. Uh, They bring in Vaughn to face uh, Haywood because he's given up two home runs in the two at-bats he's ever faced Haywood in. Obviously, this is not what would happen. Uh, uh, the coach says he thinks he's due. So then the song Wild Thing is hit for the first time in the movie. That's a big thing. I'd play it right now, except it wasn't working. But uh, <laughs> uh, that's where the the song comes. And then uh, one of my favorite moments of the movie is when Dorn heads to the pitcher's mound. 
And even though I know what happens now, because I've seen the movie so many times, it still gets me when he starts that walk over to the, <laughs> over to the pitcher's mound and you don't know what's going to happen. And you think there's going to be a fight and he just tells him to strike this MF or out. Ooh, the tension. Uh, Mike, you see this, this scene, the first time you watched it, do you remember what you thought Dorn was going to do? I, I definitely thought he was going to address the situation at hand. And I, I thought that he was going to make it known because up until this point, Ricky Vaughn was kind of avoiding Dorn, like in the locker room and stuff. He was, you know, getting out of the way. Oh, Dorn's coming. He's sneaking out of the locker room. He's trying to avoid this situation um, with all, all the things going on already and the tension of them being in this, you know, high stakes game. He's trying to avoid any additional conflict. And then here it is, this conflict that you think is going to happen. And they just kind of put you through this, you know, little loop and send you in the complete it's, opposite direction. It's such good dramatic tension. I mean, cause you have tension on top of tension, you know, you're bringing in, uh, the, the hero of the film to face arguably his greatest foe. And then you have Dorn coming in to approach him and everyone, I mean, the only person who knows is Jake Taylor and he's like, and he, I think he says like, "Oh shit," or something like that. And it's it's such a good it's such a good scene, and and it really shows. I think this is the turning point for Dorn, because he realizes he's like, "All right, yes, I'm, I I I need to make amends. I need to put something else ahead of myself. And in this moment, I'm going to choose supporting my teammate and 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 giving him that boost to be successful." It was a real bros before hoes moment. <laughs> uh, then Vaughn goes to the back of the pitcher's mound. He does his best Al Habrowski imitation. Mike, you ever heard the name Al Habrowski? I have not. I believe he was the mad Hungarian. So he would walk behind the pitcher's mound and he would like get himself all jacked up and then turn around and come up to the ru- the rubber and try to intimidate uh, batters that way. It didn't work that well. Uh, this is when, uh, Jake Taylor starts, uh, messing around to saying he, he, all these pitches to choose from and all that stuff. It's a, it's a great moment this at bat. And then, uh, after a couple of pitches, uh, the coach says, forget the curveball, Ricky, give him the heater. We already got dolls that walk and talk and blink. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Haywood is spitting tobacco at an unbelievable rate right now oh during this at bat. It's just every other second he is shooting tobacco across. Jake Taylor's shin guard's got to be covered in tobacco. Wacky. It's it's disgusting. Like this is a, this is a, a thing, and and you probably know it, folks. Like a trope that they use in film, or when you want to identify the villain, you draw attention to their mouth. And it could be them like eating, eating food and being really like messy and it's, it's loud. And then, you know, this dude is a bad guy because he can't stop spitting. He looks like a a damn fountain of brown coming out of his mouth. It's so nasty. And it, it, and back in the day, I was just like, oh, but now as an adult, I'm like, that's disgusting. 
Mike, you ever chewed tobacco? I have not chewed tobacco. But Rudy, to, to second that, yeah, absolutely. It's like they really bring it in that this guy's the villain. If there was anything leading into this where you're, you're like, oh, I'm not sure about Ricky Vaughn, you're just like, I want this guy to get struck out. I don't care who's striking him out. <laughs> Mike, you ever try one of those like bandits? It's like the little the little white envelope with tobacco in it. And like, no. You ever get any secondhand smoke? Oh. You ever? Somebody smoking around Secondhand here? smoke? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, occasionally some secondhand. <clears throat> hey, hey, Mike. Fan. Mike, have you ever, you ever uh, dipped some Big League Chew? I have had Big League Chew, yes. Big fan. Good stuff. Big fan of that. Uh, so he strikes him out. Big moment. Uh, bottom of the ninth comes, the Duke comes in, and I actually have in my notes it's Steve Yeager. Steve Yeager, former Major League Baseball player for the Dodgers, uh, who was not a pitcher. So you have Pete Vukovic, who was a pitcher, playing uh, a big hitting first baseman, and then you have a guy who was like a catcher first baseman playing a pitcher. It had to do with their and look, I assume. So, it uh, yeah. In my notes, um, uh, Vukovic showed up for day one of shooting, looking the way he looks, and they're like, "No, he he needs to be Clue. He needs to be Haywood. We cannot. He it, it, he just look. He has that look that we want." And so then they had to turn around and find Jaeger. And uh, I thought it was just that Haywood had their baseball skills wouldn't be shown off. So the, the rather the other characters would still be somewhat believable. Like let's have a pitcher hit. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good maybe point. Everybody else won't look so stupid. Swinging yeah, but, <laughs> but I tell you what, Vukovic's swing is way better than Dorn's and Taylor's way better. Yeah. We're going to get into this Jake <laughs> Taylor at bat in a second. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, Hayes beats on a hopper. Then he steals second. And, uh, and that's when you have Jake Taylor drop the bat ring. Now, this is good. I mean, it's a good movie. So they really take advantage of the emotional uh, situations here. I think uh, I'm frozen again, even though you guys at home can't hear that I'm frozen again. But uh, I think I'm about to get kicked out of the Zoom again. So I think everyone can agree with me that when Jake Taylor uh, drops the bat ring, Uh, that uh, everyone's on the edge of their seat. It's very emotional uh, as we're getting back into the Zoom with these guys. Recording in progress. Hey, hey, Barrel Roller. Hi. Hey. I knew when it happened or as soon as um, it happened. Welcome back. Yeah. Question. I think we skipped over a pretty pivotal part in the movie. Oh, good. Let's talk about it. Pedro Serrano hitting a curveball. Oh, well, yeah. Why, why don't I have that? I don't, well, he, he gets them within. Oh, that's uh, because I was, so, I was so concerned about how good he looks in a uniform that I completely went over the <laughs> fact that he hit a home run. Uh, Rudy, tell everybody about Serrano's at bat. So this is the, this is the, you see him fail time and time again with the curveball. That is his Achilles heel, just like carbs or Feeney's Achilles heel. Um, and you're not 100% certain what's going to happen. And you have that iconic moment. This moment 
And the figure of Joe Boo has inspired, like, you have Joe Boo Day for the Guardians in in Major League Baseball. It's an iconic figure. And he steps up to the plate, and he gets, they know what what he he can't hit, so they just throw him a bunch of junk, and he gets down with two strikes. And then we have the moment where he talks to himself, right? I mean, the the conversation with Joe Boo, how he says, I stick up for you. I, and you know, help me now. And the iconic line, I say, fuck you, Joe Boo. I do it myself. Right? Yes. Feeney, how did you feel during I that scene? I think this is debatably the most powerful scene in the whole movie. Yes. I love it. As somebody that is not religious, he just goes, screw religion. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do everything myself. And he does. I love it. Yeah, I, see. I cannot hit curveball. Straight ball, I hit it very much. Curveball. That's our friend. <laughs> Obviously, that's not what he says in that to Joe Boo in that at bat. But, uh, yeah. Screaming Featherheads, the fighting Braves of the Cuyahoga. I should have played this a long time ago. But I love that music in the background. Anyway, let me get this last one out of the way. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. All right. <laughs> just so we, <laughs> we can clear out all the sounds I had. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with Mike. Uh, that's a great scene. They really do a good job with the tension and the intensity in this final scene. And I think is I think it actually saves the movie. Like, if they don't, if this final game does not come off the way it does, you start picking apart the prior moments in this movie, and you're like, man, eh, it was okay. But the the way they shoot and do this whole final game, I mean, it's it's fantastic. So uh, we are now yeah. up to Another the. Thing go ahead. Is uh, Wild Things entrance from the bullpen? I feel like we just kind of breezed over that, but I felt like that was like such a huge moment where it's like this whole time, I'm, you know, he's been struggling, struggling. He can't get anything by this guy. And then they call upon him. And when the music hits, it just feels like a WWE entrance style. Oh, sure, sure. Like just out of the bullpen. I feel like with how unbelievable parts of this movie are, they should have had pyro going off, a big (laughs) celebration coming through out of the bullpen. But, uh, well, powerful moment. Think about it now. Like there's some debate in the documentary that I watch about this movie inspiring entrance music for uh, closing pictures. And, 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 and uh, think about where we are now with the uh, the the Mets entrance for uh, 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 that was that blew up a viral sensation of uh, with the trumpet guy and like Edwin Diaz and everything like that. I mean, come on, you're you're 100 percent right. And and it's a it's an iconic moment, definitely in film. And it definitely resonates through sports today. Uh, absolutely. Then we get to the Jake Taylor at bat. Rudy, you wanted to take this. uh this at bat and dissect okay. it. Go ahead. Look, okay. I love this movie. And I've just become aware of what a possibly irredeemable character Jake Taylor is. Felon. And and to get up there and point to call your shot. Yes, it calls back to the time when he was in the 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 stadium by himself. It's like, you know, a premonition, right? Very foreshadowing. And but it, it's a callback to all of us. Right to, 
it's a callback to all of us in our backyards yeah. is what it is. We've yeah. all wanted, yeah. we've all wanted to do that. And every time Ian was pitching to me and I did that, he threw the ball right at my head and I deserved it He's a because the Duke, the Duke was like, you're not going to show me up in this moment. What are you doing? Um, and so as a kid, I'm like, oh my gosh, he laid down a bunt genius as an adult i'm like that is the worst <laughs> bunt i have ever seen in my entire life it's like, like watching current major leaguers try to bunt yeah it's, it's <laughs> like it's like a swing thing that ball should have landed in the third baseman's glove while he was standing there that didn't make any sense to me but go ahead i'm sorry well there's no way they thought that was coming Oh, he froze. I didn't. What'd you say? I said, there's no way they think that bunt's coming. So his knees are shot. And uh, so then uh, Willie comes around to score uh, and he does the Sid Bream slide uh, into the whole plate where his back leg just, I mean, it's perfectly shot and uh, it's, it's an amazing moment. The Sid Bream slide, Mike. You don't know what the hell I'm talking about, do you? Barry Bonds in left nope. field for the Pittsburgh Pirates tries to throw out Sid Bream in the NLCS, and Sid Bream is a a slow white guy rounding third base, and he has to do that same slide to score. Look it up on your YouTubes and uh, tell all your friends. And uh, the Indians win. Mike, what do you think about this this play Jake Taylor comes up with in his mind and, and uh, executes? Uh, I love the bunt, personally. You know, it's clearly unexpected. Uh, realistically, is he going to beat that out? Probably not. But maybe just the, you know, the shock factor of catching them off guard is well enough to make this work. You know, that'd be like Teddy dropping down a bunt. Nobody's expecting that. <laughs> nobody has this. Nobody thinks his speed's going to get him there. Um, but it, it, this comes into like a whole nother redemption story too, a little bit for Willie Mays Hayes making that slide as he came up earlier short on the slide. And now he's this expert slider. It's the dumbest. Uh, it's the dumbest play since a fair foul. Uh, and then the <laughs> celebrations ensue. <laughs> And uh, another great moment in this movie is when Dorn finds Vaughn and punches him uh, and then picks him up and hugs him. It's perfect. That's exactly how they're feeling at that moment. And uh, I thought Charlie Sheen uh, did a great job in showing how he was so scared and hurt after he got hit. And then he like hits acceptance right when Dorn like hugs him. And uh, I thought that was amazing. Jake Taylor sees Lynn in the stands. Is it with a restraining order and a lawyer? No, she shows him she doesn't have a ring on anymore. And uh, and so obviously she gets to come on the field and celebrate. And there, uh, there's some awkward handshakes in there and everything. And 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 that's the end of the movie. Uh, Indians win. Rudy, your thoughts on this last scene? Nothing's more dramatic than a play at the plate. It's that's uh, when it comes to baseball, nothing's more dramatic than that. Like, uh, I think it was a perfect ending 
to a, a, a great movie. I, I, you see growth from Dorn. Like that is a full character arc. Like Dorn from where he started to where he ends. That is growth. And I am here for it. Um, and yeah, I, they, the, the city of Cleveland deserves a championship. And until that happens, a, 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 a World Series championship. And until that happens, they, they always have Major League to celebrate their victories. Mike, your parting thoughts on this. I agree. I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic ending to the movie. Um, despite everything that's unbelievable, you know, it kind of all comes together. As you said, this final scene needs to be powerful or else everything else is questioned like we've kind of done. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic ending to the movie. And I think it really just puts everything together. And without it, this movie fails. Yes. Uh, so let me go around uh, with you guys. Bull Durham, Major League. Which one do you like more? Rudy? Uh, Major League. I'm going to say Major League. Uh, Mike? I agree as well. Major League. Oh, I'm a huge Bull Durham guy. Uh, I can't agree with you guys on that. Bull, well, Bull, Bull Durham's, Durham's a better the, movie. The, the, uh, yeah, well, Bull Durham's a more grown-up, mature version of Major Like, but Major League is like the younger brother to Bull Durham. It's also honest. a more realistic version of what baseball would be. True. So correct, but realism isn't always as funny. No, except in Bull Durham's case. Uh, hey, you guys, <laughs> we did it. Uh, we finished. It's part two of Major League. Uh, let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, Rudy's got three movies he's got to get to. My next movie, uh, we're recording on February 6th. It's Eight Men Out with Jeff Kozlowski of the Greenfield Village Lottie Daws. And that's going to be a much different uh, avenue to go down as we're going to be going down the street of history a lot more in that movie as opposed to felons uh <laughs> felonious activities uh rudy's first movie i believe on his list is sandlot and uh yes that's a huge that's number one on so many people's list and and i can see why it's like number eight on mine uh <laughs> uh do you remember what else is on your list you you're the man with the list i don't remember i don't even uh I have um, the Sandlot 42 and Bull Durham. And you have uh, Major League, Eight Men Out, and Rookie of the Year. Oh, that's right. Now, a baseball movie that I did not choose but is one of my favorite movies of all time is Amazing Grace and Chuck. Are you guys aware of Amazing Grace and Chuck? No. I'm not aware of that at all. Okay. Well, as, as we sign off and uh, tell everybody, thanks for listening. As we are preparing for season four and we're going to give you so much content, you're going to be sick of us. Then we'll talk about season five. Uh, <laughs> let me get you out of here with a little amazing grace and Chuck talk. 
uh, Chuck is a, a little league baseball player and he goes on a class trip to a nuclear facility and he sees a nuclear warhead and it affects him so much that he vows to never play little league baseball again until there's no nuclear weapons. So his dad played by William Peterson, you know, as the star of CSI, he's also the guy who plays Pat Garrett in young guns and kills uh, Emilio Estevez, Charlie Sheen's brother, full circle. Here we are. Uh, there's a basketball player in real life. His name was Alex English. He played for the Denver nuggets. He's a real basketball player in the movie. He's amazing grace. And he plays with the Boston Celtics and he's a phenomenal three point shooter. And his manager is played by Jamie Lee Curtis. So amazing grace decides that he's going to give up professional basketball until there's no nuclear weapons. And he goes and he buys a, a barn in the same town where this, this Chuck kid lives. And he's just taking it day by day. They don't know what we're, what they're going to do. And then all of a sudden professional athletes from all over start quitting until there's no nuclear weapons. So do you know, do you guys know who that would bother the most? Well, that would be bookies and the gambling community. <laughs> so spoiler alert, they kill, uh, amazing grace. Uh, no. in a very sad scene. And I won't tell you anything other than that. I gave you the spoiler. You guys, this is a, this is one of my favorite movies as a kid, but when you watch it now, the editing is awful. It jumps around. It's, it's a hard watch, but anyway, so Gregory Peck plays the president in this movie and he's a great president. And so after amazing grace is killed, Chuck, the little league baseball player refuses to talk anymore until there's no nuclear weapons. Then children all over the world, they stop talking. Sounds like heaven. I know. And then, uh, so Gregory Peck gets involved with Chuck because it's really becoming a nuisance. And, and they're like, all right, we have this plan with Russia to cut down uh, nuclear weapons this much, this much, this much. And then 20 years later, there's no more nuclear weapons. You've done it. You know, I just need you to go out there now and I need you to get in front of the microphone. I need you to talk and we got to get back to normal. Now you accomplished your goal. And Chuck being the smug little son of a bitch, he is refuses to talk to the president of the United States. And William Peterson has to give him the message of if you can come up with a plan like that, surely you can do something better than that while the iron's hot or something like that. So would you believe it? They get rid of nuclear weapons. And so the next baseball season comes around and, and Chuck's going to, he's a pitcher, by the way, Southpaw. It's probably not very good. Uh, best on his team. Uh, 
And he's going to play baseball now. And so the world is now watching. Like CNN is broadcasting this Little League game and the president's there and the Russian president's there. And it's it's this big thing. And just before, and uh, so he gets the ball and he's going to pitch. But just before he pitches, he stops and he takes off his hat and he puts a three in the air because that was Amazing Grace's sign. So everybody stands up. Jamie Lee Curtis stands up and everybody stands up and puts a three in the air. And even the Russian president who has no idea what's going on stands up and puts a three in the air. And, uh, I tell you what, I cry like a baby. Every time that scene happens, every time, even though I know it's, it's such a chappy movie now. And I'm like, wow, I, it's not really that good, but that scene gets me every single time like a baby. The waterworks, amazing Grace and Chuck. I am not going to recommend it for everybody. Uh, it's pretty good though. The message is good. I mean, I guess there's. I mean, it's Gregory Peck. Mike, do you know who the hell Gregory Peck is? I do not. That movie sounds way too dark for my liking. I think I'm just going to watch Fever Page. To kill a mockingbird, <laughs> Mike. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, Rudy, you've never heard of this movie? Uh, I, I feel like I might have seen it, uh, scenes from it, because I went on IMDb and started, like, scrolling, and some of the f- pictures looked very familiar to me. So, uh, I bet if I started watching it, I'd be like, oh, I've seen this. It's just probably been since the 80s. All right, well, that guy stopped act. Chuck stopped acting after that. So, I've actually contacted Chuck on Facebook Cause now he like works in New York as like a broker or something like that. And uh, he did not get back with me. He, another guy that will not be on this podcast, but he's alive. Uh, so that's disappointing. So, all right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Rudy, get us out of here. That's right, folks. From Mondays and the Barry Road. I'm the Swamp Fox telling you to keep it station to station and we'll see you in the field. What? Walk, walk.